It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Nesson Dorma, your semi-regular chat about 80s and 90s football. I'm Lee Calvert. Joining me tonight is regular contributor and author of When Football Came Home, Mr. Mike Gibbons. Evening, Mike. Hi, Lee. How are you doing? I'm all right. I've said good evening, but you could be listening to this in the daytime if I keep forgetting it's a podcast. So, you know, whatever time you're listening to, to it, hello. Um, and after returning and returning after what seems like months, it's, <laughs> it, it's books and the Guardian's very own Mr. Rob Smythe. Hello, Rob. Good day. Um... Thank you for listening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to take a look back to the year that Labour lost the election again. Uh, the, the year It's also the year that Manchester Metrolink opened and the year that David Mellor resigned after being caught having it off in full Chelsea kit with an actress, allegedly. And most importantly to us, I suppose, it was the first Premier League season and Manchester United's first league win since something like 1837 or something. Um, so we're going to talk about that. If you're going to want to get in touch with the podcast, we are... At Nessundormapod on Twitter, there's Nessundormapod.com where you can find mailing lists and email addresses and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, are you on Twitter, Mike? Uh, yeah, at Mike W. Gibbons. At Mike W. Gibbons. Uh, Rob's not on Twitter, so we'll we'll move on. Before we get, move. <laughs> before we get, <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for everybody who leaves reviews, and hopefully you're still enjoying this. Before we get stuck into United's season. And probably some more stuff about the ninety two ninety three season as well. Uh, we had a bit of a conversation over sort of WhatsApp and stuff recently around starting to talk about the best players who never played in the European Cup stroke Champions League. And we started to have a think about the best 11 that we could come up with. Um, and I think the first thing we found is it was actually it's tougher than you think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And <laughs> as I was going through... Luis Fernandez's entire career trying to find out if he played one game <laughs> it became less less of a joyous experience but no it was quite interesting and and you realize of course now anyone any Tom Dick and Harry will play in it you would pretty much but there were some really fantastic players who didn't play in it for a variety of reasons 
Uh, so yeah, it was it was mildly diverting and then mild candy vision. The um, it is the thing that you think, oh, I don't think he did. Then you find they played one qualifying Champions League. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, because in the Champions League period, I reckon they'd never invent the Champions League. So this would go much better. Like maybe so many other things. I don't know, but uh, yeah, there, there was someone I forget who it was, but. It might have been Lipbarski. It was a German, West German, well, poor West German player who I looked up and he, I think I thought, yes, I've got it. He's great. He can go here. And I think he played like one game when he was 16 or something absurd. Thomas Hassler played two qualifying games yeah. as well. It's like, oh, for God's sake, you can't think you found somebody. Yeah. I was always getting to the point where I was thinking, do qualifying games qualify for the Champions League qualifies <laughs> days actually count? And We should have just had it as the 11 players we think might not have played. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Research, research, yeah. Um, yeah, so also I threw this out to Twitter, so thanks very much to the people who, who did uh, help out on Twitter. N- not so much thanks to the people who, when I put this out there, <laughs> suggested, lots of you suggested Pele, which I suppose on one level, he is a great player who's not played European Cup, but I was looking for people who actually were playing in Europe at a time when the European Cup existed. You know, if you're going to go for great players who, who weren't eligible, he could have played, you might as well have said Barry John or somebody like that. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, but yeah, so yeah, Pele was a great player, we accept that. So then, to the 11, and we will put this on... Um, on the Twitter feed because I think we've even mocked up we've even mocked up one of them special pitches with the formation or everything, haven't we? Oh, yeah. we're all we're all tech, yeah. Oh yeah, graphic, graphic, and everything. <laughs> I mean, I drew it on an A4 pad and took a photo of it. That's how you do it, isn't it? But yeah, it's, uh, so <laughs> yeah, no, we'll have that up as soon as you finish. So um, the eleven, uh, let's go goalkeeper first. There was a few options with goalkeepers because I suppose there's only so many goalkeepers can play for so many teams that play in this top competition. That was the strongest. Area, I'd say, like we left out people like Pat Jennings, Neville Southall, um, others who I have completely forgotten. Andreas Kirpka didn't play. Uh, yeah, we, we should say just quickly, I, we're kind of ninety-eight percent sure these players didn't play in the European Cup, but <laughs> yeah. it's not always easy to confirm stuff. There's a great site called Transfer Market which seems to uh, have every single game ever. But if we're wrong, then you know. Yeah, I'm sure you won't, you know, savage us on Twitter or anything like that. Um, yeah. So anyway, goalkeeper, uh, the great Lev Yashin. Mm. Well, yeah, well, he's one of only two Ballon d'Or winners, I think, never to play in the European Cup or the Champions League. The other one is Stanley Matthews. Uh, yeah. who, uh, he won the first ever Ballon d'Or when he was like 42 or something. I don't even think the Champions, uh, or, sorry, the European Cup had even started then. Uh, and I think Yashin never played in it because uh, the Soviet Union, they didn't start putting teams in until 1967 or something like that, oh, I think right. it was. So he was playing, he was Dynamo Moscow, I believe. I should have researched that, but I think I'm pretty sure he was Dynamo Moscow. And uh, by the time the Soviets were putting teams in, his, uh, his glory years had gone by, really. He was Dynamo Moscow. 326 yeah. appearances for said club. Uh, yeah, so Lev Yashin. All in black. Uh, moving up, we've gone three five one two just to be just to be clear about this before we move forward. So the back three are Paul McGrath, Marius Trezor, and Bobby Moore. That's that's pretty good. I that's not that. bad. <laughs> that's not bad. We're not yeah. scraping around much there. No, I'm funny. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Moore would have played even by the current rules. I don't think we had West Ham ever finished top four. When he was playing, I might be wrong, but um, yeah, all fantastic players. Trezor played for that great France team, scored a belting volley in the World Cup semi against West Germany. So the only thing with that is you could you could almost play any of them sweeper, certainly more Trezor. But um, yeah, pretty strong, I think. Mike, what do you reckon? 
Yeah, I would just say with Moore as well that um, he did actually he won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1965 with West mm. Ham. Um, so I mean, he does have that in his favour. And there's um, there's a book he appeared in once. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called My Favourite Game or something. Oh, where about yeah. 40, 40 players picked their you know the favourite game they've ever played in. And even though Moore had played in a World Cup final, he picked the European Cup Winners' Cup final as his favourite game. That's interesting. Yeah, I think he said he, it, it felt like winning a European trophy with a school team because he <laughs> to, uh, the ranks with all the players at West Ham. And winning the Cup Winners' Cup is, is you know, from an era when the other European trophies weren't viewed with a disdain that the Europa League is now. <laughs> you know, it was a genuinely, you know, a very big thing to win. So, all right, he didn't play in the European Cup, but, you know, it's not a bad consolation prize to have. And he, I don't think I don't think his legacy suffered because of it, has he? But, uh, but uh, <laughs> no, he's virtually canonised it. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, statued a lot. The um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's at Paul McGrath. Obviously, I mean, under the new rules, he would have. Well, we're going to talk about ninety two, ninety three. If we were having these rules, yeah. then he'd have qualified. Probably not. Villa. Just a few years later, wouldn't he, with Villa? Yeah. Um, moving into midfield. Yeah, uh, can I just say that the yeah, reason sure. for formation is not that we're big believers in three four one two. It's just that it was a bloody struggle to find wide players, so we decided to shoehorn in two wing backs and sod the wingers. <laughs> so we've got uh, midfield, which is the four, is Klaus Berggren, Luis Fernandez, Martin Peters, and Kenny Sanson. Do we, you guys want to talk a little bit about Berggren? Don't you? We absolutely love Berger. We we interviewed him a couple of times because of Danish Dynamite, the book we did about that great 80s Denmark team. And the funny thing is that um, the day before, we, we were over in Copenhagen doing interviews. And the, on the Wednesday, the book was actually cancelled. Um, so we went out and got absolutely <laughs> pongoed, like utterly all over the show. I'd love and, to um, see your face with that phone call came through. Yeah, Lars, who like fellow author, he genuinely thought I was joking. It was a classic kind of Brent, Brent yeah, nice one. But anyway, we got we got all over the show. The last thing I remember is Mike holding court with about twelve Danish students outside a bar. Um, <laughs> so we had to go the next morning at nine a.m. We had to interview him. We thought we'd go ahead with it. We kind of hoped we'd still get it done. And he was just so funny. We were all had like vile hangovers. But he was just such a character and just such a lovely bloke. Um, and yeah, in the end, we got another deal. So it was one that ends well. What's but anyway, that? as a player, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Move on no, I love that. But I was just making sure we didn't move on before we said what we like as a stories. player. Yeah. He was just, I mean, he was more right midfielder, but he could, Denmark often played 3 5 2 anyway, and he sometimes would be the right midfielder. He's just more than anything, he could just run like a beast. He was cross country champion of Denmark. I think when he was 14, it was something ridiculous like that. And he could just, he played one, one of the fittest players probably ever to play in Serie A, certainly in the 80s. I think Maradona wanted Napoli to sign him. He played for Pisa and Roma, and he now owns a fashion company called Piro as a result. And he was like, he was <laughs> such a raconteur. He had like proper flowing and absurd locks, like 50-something fashion man locks. But yeah, just a, like a, a limited player in the nicest possible way, but just, yeah, just a fantastic athlete. And um, he got his goals, you know, yeah, it's a good player. What were you talking to the twelve students about, Mike? <laughs> uh, well, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't very high on life that night. Oh, God, we, had, yeah. we found this beer called Nick. Do you remember God. what was it? That beer you, we were having? What was it? Oh, ten percent vicious Mick. Oh, Santa's little helper. That was it. Santa's oh, little helper. Yeah. Uh, well, just yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I when writers go, go abroad, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, so that's Berggrunt. Luis Fernandez, who was obviously was the I, th- I think probably the less is he the less heralded member of the Magic Square? I think he's probably fairly safe to say that. Yeah, he's kind of got the Buzz Aldrin syndrome, <laughs> hasn't he? Really? He's, he's not as famous as uh, as the others, but yeah, I mean, he does have that trophy of you know he doesn't have the didn't play in the European Cup, but he played in the greatest well one of the greatest midfields of all time. Um, he also settled one of the greatest games of all time. Uh, that quarterfinal against Brazil in Mexico '86, Fernandez got the winning penalty. You know that gets really shown ad nauseum. You know whenever there's a World Cup on, so he's always got that trophy to carry with him as well. Yeah, just a, it was a really good box to box throw. He scored a lovely yeah. goal in the '86 World Cup against um, Zeekwise against USSR, I think. Uh, it's like late run, good first touch, really good finish. Um, yeah, just quality player, really. Surprising. I think he, I think he won the title once, but he left. It might have been with PSG, but he left them that summer, so he didn't play in the Champions League European Cup. Born At in... least that's what my, my research said. If I got that wrong, then <laughs> he's born in Spain, wasn't he? Moved moved to France. He was ten or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, that's no relevance to this whatsoever. I just uh, like that. I don't. I don't. I don't know why I don't imagine that happening that often. You always. I don't know why. Mm. Um, anyway, so Martin Peters is next. Yeah, before our time, but by all accounts, just a fantastic kind of all-purpose midfielder ahead of his time, part of the great West Ham, well, not the great West Ham team, but the famous West Ham team, and obviously key part of the England team that mm. won the World Cup. It sounds like he was a brilliant player. I mean, I've, I've hardly ever seen him play, but yeah, he seemed quite an easy choice. He was also a, he's part of one of the greatest swap transfers of all time. Right. With, uh, with Jimmy Greaves just before the 1970 World Cup. Uh, I think it was Peters went to Tottenham and Greaves went the other way. Oh, yeah. Just a, a straight swap, but, you know, it's the equivalent of swapping, well, I don't know who would it be now, Harry Kane for, oh, there isn't Mark, a good English. Mark Noble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark Noble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, Martin Peters and Ke- England again. Kenny Sampson. Yeah, who's won the yeah, PFA I, Player of the Year tournament? One any, any other? Well, I was going to say, wasn't he in the PFA Team of the Year like nine times? Or no, something? It, yeah, he oh, he's yeah. the he's the, the one who's been in the PF. He's been in the Team of the Year most times in the top division. I get the feeling he's slightly overshadowed because Pierce came after him. I'm not. I don't think Pierce was necessarily better, but just because he's such a dominant personality, feels like Sansom was slightly overshadowed. But Rolls Royce for a player by all accounts, mm. and yeah, just yeah, really classy. I think he's got the most England caps for any fullback. That's interesting. I don't think. Oh, actually, no. Ashley Cole would have gone past that, wouldn't he? Yeah, but, uh, he, 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 he held a long time. He has. Yeah, and also, um, he played for Arsenal for all of the 1980s, pretty much. But then he transferred out at the start of the 88-89 season, which obviously had a very famous end for Arsenal. <laughs> uh, and while that happened, Sanson got relegated to Newcastle, his new club, and he lost <laughs> his place in the England team to Pierce. It was just a bit of a, bit of a disastrous season for the poor guy. Moving, moving into just behind the front two, then you got um, the, the one that got loads of nominations on Twitter as well, uh, Matthew Letizia, because yeah, obviously well, he few, never left Southampton, did he? So there were a few choices. Beersley was another one, um, but just Letizia because he's just the greatest human being ever. Probably. <laughs> well, yeah, his, his, his ninety-three to 96, 96 form was pretty uh, special. Yeah, it? and particularly under Alan Ball, the eighteen months under Alan Ball, like that's the thing. He was he was scoring at like almost the same rate as Alan Shearer at the time, except 
one in every two of Letizia's goal of the season contenders. It was extraordinary. I think people kind of confused that sometimes. They think of his whole career as being like that, and it wasn't. I think he only won Southampton's fans player of the year three times. But um, between that period, he was just... I mean, all the time he was great because he could do sod all and then roof one from 30 yards. But he loves Alan Ball, doesn't he? He, he, makes, he makes a huge point about how Alan Ball was the only manager who knew what to do with him in any yeah. way, wasn't he? That totally trusted him and yeah. built the team around him. And, Just to yeah. get the ball to him. Our entire function is to get the ball yeah. to Matthew Letizia. You lot, you lot of shit to get yeah. the ball to him. Francis Benali, <laughs> get off the ball and give it to Matthew Letizia, yeah. yeah. Um, he's basically, he's one of the founding fathers of the Premier League, really, isn't he? And yeah, the, he is. You know, the whole, all the hype around it. And other people, you know, like Dalian Atkinson and, you know, Tony Eboa, or, you know, people that didn't win that much, but they just kind of decorated it with great goals really early on. Yeah. And I think he, sta- he stands for something a bit more with this year. You know, he doesn't have that kind of murderous ambition, you know, to transfer to one of the big clubs as soon as he gets a sniff of it. You know, he's settled for life as a provincial folk hero, basically, in Hampshire. And He always makes that point, doesn't he, about he never understood that clamour to move somewhere big. It's like, because if I can look this good in something that's this shit, why on earth, why do you think, <laughs> what do you think you're going to learn about me if I go and play for Chelsea or Tottenham or... Do you know United. one of the weird things is that the two managers who very nearly bought him at club level were the two people who hardly played him at international level. Venables at Spurs and Hoddle at Chelsea. Quite interesting. Mm. I suppose it's because even the best people with the if, people like Venables who, who would trust players like him, you would think, there's still something about, there's probably still something knocking at the back of the head about I still yeah, don't trust I don't... him. No matter, no matter what I say or whatever, what I think, it's still there. Mm. Moving up front then, uh, you've already mentioned Beasley, he was an option up there as well, but um, you've got Beppe Signori, who never played in the European Cup, which is, I think he's probably one of the most surprising ones really, um, and Gary Lineker. Because yeah, when you say was... Gary Lineker to people, people are genuinely surprised because they go, what, what, what about when he was at Barcelona? You go, oh, no, because they didn't qualify at that time. Yeah, I think with Signori, he signed for Lazio the same summer that Gaza did. Mm. Um, obviously overshadowed because Gaza was the bigger bigger transfer in but um, it was Signori was the one of the two of them that actually delivered regularly I think he won the golden boot in Serie A three times in four seasons or something like that and yeah, we- you know he, he played uh, Italy they didn't play him up front actually they played him on the wing and uh, he was playing on the right I think in the World Cup final in 94 uh, and he got so frustrated with that that he, he, uh, he quit playing for Italy basically but um but yeah, brilliant player. Absolute hammer of a left foot. Mm. And also, he was part of that great Fodger side who, 91-92, they came up, no one had heard them, and they just played like no team had played in Serie A almost ever. Um, they had a f- just crazy attack. It was Zeman's team, and yeah, I used to love watching them. And then the last day of the season, Milan were going into it unbeaten the whole season. I, I really fancied Fodger to do them. And at halftime, Fodger were 2-1 up. And it ended eight two to Milan. So there you go. <laughs> that was like, that kind of team. You know, when it went wrong, they just like yeah, whatever. What was that? What was that? What was that European final? Was it Milan versus Ajax? And Milan absolutely battered Ajax. Was it four one? Oh, no, Barcelona four nil. Yeah, Barcelona thought he just had to turn up. Yeah, because Milan had both the centre halves were suspended. I think. Yeah, yeah. Or injured. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So and and uh, Signori's and after just in case you don't know, as I thought was he's he got involved in some betting scandal and was banned from all football-related activity for most of this decade. Oh, really? Yeah, he I did. Yeah, 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 he did, yeah. Arrested in June in 2011. It was announced he'd been banned from football-related activity for five years because of a match-fixing. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but... 
but not banned from our little. But not banned team. from this because you know <laughs> this is only marginally, questionably, if at all, football related. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, then Gary Lineker. Now, actually, as a general point about Lineker, everyone accepts he was a good player. How many people really talk about him as a footballer anymore? I suppose that's the biggest thing. And they don't, I don't think, because he's some kind of sort of pound shop Noam Chomsky on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, and he's and and the, the the Walker's Crisps and the presenting and the fact that he's 57 and still looks probably about three times better than me and I'm much younger than him, um, which annoys me. People don't seem to mention his football anymore. And does that mean he's not remembered as well as he should be? Um, I, I, I definitely say that's true. Yeah, I mean, he he transferred out of the week, uh, out of England, didn't he, in 1992 for the yeah. final time he went to Japan. So before the boom of the Premier, he gets incredibly annoyed on um, Twitter all the time. Actually, if anyone mentions a Premier League record, uh, <laughs> he, he gives it all football actually started before 92 kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, he he was incredible for it. I mean, anyone would would have watched him in the 80s can't can't think anything other than that. Really, I mean. He was a real late bloomer as well, Lineker. He wasn't a prodigy like, you know, Michael Owen or Wayne Rooney. I don't think he was captain until he was 23. He spent most of his early years with Leicester in the second division, I think. I think four of the seven seasons. And then, um, yeah, I think it was 83, 84. He scored a ton for Leicester. Or 84, 85, was it? And then uh, transferred to Everton. And then he just had this kind of run of uh, seasons where his scoring was just absolutely incredible. He very nearly went to United that summer, which would have been quite interesting. The, the Tottenham to summer? No, the Everton... Well, he was off to United then, but that's another one. When he went to Everton, apparently the um, they basically had to get rid of a forward, and I think it was Frank Stapleton refused to move. And because of that, they kind of agreed that Lineker would join in a year, but then Everton came in and offered him, and, uh, yeah, worked out pretty well. And yeah, Everton but, were champions, so... But yeah, then, I agree with Mike. I think he's a fantastic player. I think well, he doesn't get enough credit for his mental strength, I think. Mm. Um he was so tough, not just the obvious, like taking penalties against Cameroon, but also in terms of um, he just get booted all over the place. He like, I th- I thought he was just a brilliant player, and also his hold up play. And it's funny because he was when he was taken off against Sweden, it's partly because Alan Smith would hold the ball up better, and probably would because he was bigger and strong. But Lineker's hold up play was really deft. I thought. Um, I watched the West Germany semi final a while ago, and he was just brilliant. His all round game it was mm. kind of better than I remembered, actually. And his finishing was just fantastic. He's yeah, such a smart that, player. the goal in that game, which is what probably gets replayed more than anything else, it's, I think it's easy, it's easy to not realise what an exceptional goal it is. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because everyone else is panic going mad and just got completely calm. Yeah, and he just rolls it off his thigh, then it's it, you know, into the per- almost like if it went anywhere else, it wasn't going in. Either that's yeah. the kind of you know it's, it is a wonderful goal and that was kind of a lot of what he did wasn't it? And he, um, yeah. But I mean, if you look at the raw numbers, I mean, he scored pretty much bang, just over, but pretty much bang on a goal every other game throughout his entire career, which for any striker is pretty decent, especially when you look at how I many he scored. He scored. Did he score twenty-one goals his first season at Barcelona? Plus, scored yeah, plenty quite... at Tottenham. And the other thing is, he might not have played in the European Cup, but the ultimate is the World Cup. And how many goals did he get? 10, uh, 10 or 11? He got 10 World in Cups? 12 games, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, big... and it's, you know, to, to do it in one World Cup, you know, you've seen a few strikers have one good World Cup. To do it in two, I think that kind of ends the argument about him being a great player. Yeah, yeah he did and play for England is, as well, remember. So. In 90, he was not he was not fit, was it? Was it, was it a, toe, a really bad toe injury? He had? Well, that's, he always and makes he, jokes about that now, doesn't he? And he started the tournament really slowly. 
and everyone's like, yeah, Lidica, but and then got, he still ends up with four goals, plays brilliantly against um, against uh, Cameroon and Germany, and of course he shot himself as well. But that's a <laughs> He's the highest. Sco- he was the highest scorer in La Liga for years until Gareth Bale overtook him. But then again, I suppose not many British-based players go over there, do they, and do well? So no, John Aldridge. But yeah, Steve Archibald wasn't troubling him too much. I don't think. Um, yeah, so fantastic player Lineker. Didn't play, even though he was at Barcelona for that time. They weren't in the European Cup at that time, so he didn't play in that either. Um, and off he and went he missed, to Japan. Yeah, and Spurs obviously didn't. Uh, no, didn't get in. Twas ever thus for Spurs. Um, the who? Well, I suppose I remember. I think when I looked, people who didn't make it. Klaus Alofs. Oh yeah, he was a oh. very good striker in ninth. Won the Golden Boot in the eighty European Championship. Captain Germany for two years. Player. Very very good player. Didn't play in the European Cup. I think he spent all of his career at a. I can't remember which. Uh, was it Bremen? It could be that somebody really really really. Uh, unfashionable. Uh, let's remind myself who it was now. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> he was at Fortuna Dusseldorf. Then he went to Cologne. Oh, Cologne. And then Marseille, and then Bordeaux, and then, then finished what? at Werder Bremen. When was he at Marseille? 87 to 89. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he was a terrific player. I think one thing it highlights is just, you know, how tight the old rules were, you know, only having the champions in it made it, you know, yeah, a lot exactly. more difficult to play. And if we if we did a team from two thousand onwards, I mean, yeah, you got no I, chance. It, the nineties were sort of troublesome not... enough because people, you know, yeah. everybody was after yeah. it was playing in it. We did it from two thousands. I think I'd be in it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's we will put that up on Twitter. The um, thanks for all your help with that. The Best players not to play in the European Cup stroke Champions League. Moving on then, shall we talk about the United 93, which is not a sequel to that that film. Uh, United in 1993, well, 92-93. The first season of the Premier League, Leeds had won it in 1992. I'm sure I don't need to remind you two. United hadn't won it for 26, I said 1837 at the beginning because I was being, you know, banter. But uh, But it was actually 26 years, wasn't it? Well, it was 25 going 20, into the season, so right, yeah, 26 when they won it. But yeah, because 92, everyone thought was you know meant to be 25 years and all of that. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. And it was also the last football league. I remember people making something of that in 92, that it's the last football league before mm. the Premier League kind of starts and United would want to have won that and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it wasn't to be anyway. So did they, in 92, did United start as favourites? Were they seen as the team no, that was going to win it? I th- from memory, I think Arsenal did. Um, Arsenal finished, I think, third or fourth previous year, but they've been top scorers. Um, I'm pretty sure most people had Arsenal as favourites. United didn't really do any. They brought Dion Dublin. That was it. They missed out on Shearer. Uh, tried, didn't, couldn't get David Hurst. I think they nearly signed Townsend. They were, they were looking at Paul McStay. And it just... I think a lot of people thought that the hangover from what happened, the, the traumatic failure to win it in the way they did. I think everyone thought there would be a really severe hangover. And there actually was for two or three months. They tried to get David Hurst as well, didn't they? Yeah, that was... A, I don't know if they tried to get him in the summer. They certainly tried to get him around October time. Mm. Um, and, yeah, failed. And obviously, they ended up getting... Because Dublin broke his leg really early on um, in the fifth or sixth game. 
Um, so then they tried again to get Hurst, and there was almost who else? There was talk of also actually, funnily enough, they almost bought Mick Harford the back end of the previous season, believe it or not. Ferguson says that one of his biggest regrets was not signing McCarthy because the Old Trafford pitch was a joke. It was like it was absolutely diabolical, and they couldn't play. It was mostly like sand for about yeah. three quarters of the season, wasn't it? And he he thought that had they signed Harford, they would have won the league. And I probably agree with him actually. Um, I remember yeah. a rumor about Brian Dean. There were a lot of rumors around, and I remember. <laughs> That's your way of saying that. Sounds like bollocks, but yeah, it was it. I'd be surprised if that was true. Having said that. I've got a really vivid memory of around August 94, so in the build-up to when they signed Andy Cole, I've got a really vivid memory, I think, of United being linked with Dean Holdsworth every second day. And I yes, surely I Ferguson, remember that, yeah. Surely Ferguson wouldn't have fancied him, would he? I don't know, anyway. They did um, They did try to get Shearer as well in 92. I mean, that was the big... Uh, yeah. The big striker that was available that summer, and uh, obviously chose to sign for Blackburn, who'd just been promoted, and... You know, I had the sugar daddy putting the team together that would eventually win in '95, but it was, um, yeah, the kind of sliding doors effect of all the, the strikers they missed out on eventually, you know, and with Dublin breaking his leg as well, is eventually what leads to Cantona. Blackburn went from diving Dave Speedy to uh, to Shearer, <laughs> didn't they? My mate would never forgive him for diving in that playoff final. Um, yeah, so, um, sorry, I digress there. The um, so you started to see, so United start the season. They weren't favourites, but I suppose they were up there in the mix, weren't they? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The hangover, I mean, as, as Rob mentioned, the hangover is pretty severe. I mean, they lost the opening two games, I think. Yes. They lost four and drew six of the first 15, I think it was. They could hardly score a goal. Couldn't score a goal. They were 10th in November. Um, Dublin broke his leg. I think it was the fourth game of the season was the first one they won. It was one of the first Monday night football games. Mm. It was at the Dell at Southampton, which um, Monday Night Football, you know. A... Sorry, I had to throw in some Monday Night Football news music there. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, carry on. Uh, I mean, yeah, the innovation of that. I mean, I remember that game really, really vividly because um, they had all things like cheerleaders around the oh, pitch. Oh, the Sky Strikers. Sky Strikers. Yeah, UV40 mined their latest single at halftime. <laughs> and there's a, there's, there's a wonderful story as well about um, all the fireworks they needed to set off to get them projected over the Dell. Because the Dell was such a small ground, they couldn't get the trajectory to launch them on the actual land that Southampton owned. So some Sky flunky had to go around the housing estates around Southampton beg- <laughs> begging people to uh, <laughs> let them use their back garden to oh, set some fireworks. On the TV episode, which is the last episode, if you haven't listened to it already, but um, Rob Bagchi makes the point that when they kicked off at four o'clock on Sunday in 92, all day drinking wasn't involved then. So you go to the pub... The football would have been on for three hours. You had to leave at three o'clock and the game still hadn't kicked off because basically the build-up was so... You've been watching Sky Strikers and all that stuff. It's like, sorry, lads, you've got to go now. So try and find somebody who paid for Sky, you know. But yeah, so that so there was all of that going on. Yeah, but uh, yeah. go on. So you were saying something about a game, I think, at some point. Yeah, but uh, so actually, well, Dion Dublin, I mean, since a couple of games before he broke his leg, he scored, I think, in something like the 86th minute in that game. I think it was even and later. It, it was it later than that, even yeah, and it was United's first win of the season. So it was um, after a really ropey start. I think they were bottom after two games. Yeah, they were um, first ever published Premier League table because in those days it was published after two games, not after two minutes of the first game. Which <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> 
Yeah, they lost to Everton three 0 and they were twenty second on week round two with it to use modern parlance. And I yeah. think the other team, the only other team who lost in the first two games, I think, were Arsenal, the favourites. They because they lost four two at home to Norwich and then lost to Blackburn. But anyway, I digress. One um, one other point we should make actually is that the signing of Dublin then paved the way for Mark Robbins to leave uh, United. So Mark yes. Robbins then transferred to Norwich, hmm. um, who'd only just avoided relegation the season before, I think. And it's, I think they just hmm. sold Robert Fleck as well, and all the fans were up in arms. And then they got off to, off to an absolute flyer at the start of the league. Robins first felt like Robins was scoring two every week at one point. Mm. Who was the kind of what was the kind of just to remind everybody who doesn't know what was the kind of core team this year for United? It was uh, Schmeichel and goal back four was Parker, Pallister, Bruce Irwin. Midfield kind of very, but once people were fit and once Cantona had signed, it was uh, Sharp and Giggs rotate wings, mm. often Giggs on the right, actually, into Brian McLean midfield, and then Cantona and Hughes. And then there were other players like Brian Robson, Darren Ferguson, I think played the first 16 league games um, when McLean was playing up front. And there were others, but that was the core team. Mm. Kachelskis, yeah. actually. Kachelskis did a fair bit, um, coming in occasionally when people were suspended or injured. There were a core of, um, I think, seven that played. It was a 42-game season, and I think there were seven players that played 40 of the games. Wow. I think the, the other thing to say about United's season as well is they went out of all the cups they were in really early. Like they went out of the UEFA Cup yes. in the first round. Uh, to Torpedo Moscow. Were, yeah, yeah, yeah Gary Neville's uh, debut. Wow. And, and, yeah, they went out of the FA Cup, I think, in the fifth round, and that was done by February, so it was... Um, yeah, they literally were only playing for the league at that point. League Cup, they got beaten by Villa quite early on. Villa actually yeah. looked, Villa beat them twice at Villa Park in the space of maybe 10 days, one in the League Cup, one in the league. And they were both 1-0, but Villa looked so much better, particularly in the league game. Um, and United just looked lost around then. That was early November. Couldn't score a goal, could hardly get a point. Um, yeah, from the 19th of September in the league right through to the 7th of November, didn't it was it was draws or losses, basically. Yeah, they actually won five in a row after that bad start, but then they lurched back into a period of uselessness. Um, yeah, and even then, you know, like they drew two a lot home to Liverpool, and that was only a late sting. Hughes scored, I think, an injury time equaliser. Mm. They were 2-0 down. Um, yeah, they were just really struggling. Um, it's interesting, though, that Ferguson didn't lose his faith. There's a couple of kind of semi-famous clips. Like when they lost to Sheffield United the first day of the season, there's a clip from him shouting, oh, and Dennis, Dennis, keep playing football. And he and then after they drew 0-0 at Blackburn and played really well. And he kind of, he someone asked him about basically, did they need to change the approach? And he got quite aggressive, like defending, you know, this is the way we play and we're going to keep playing like this and we'll be, we'll be all right. So it kind of paid off. Obviously it needed Cantona, but it's interesting that he didn't really lose faith at any point, I don't think. So Cantona comes in in November, doesn't he? Yeah, end of November. Yeah. They actually won one game, beat Oldham 3-0 at home uh, the week before he signed. So it's sort of then turned the corner because, you know. But, um, yeah, it, they can't, really, Cantona changes everything. So he does change. Because, actually, when you look at the pure stats looking back, right? Because yeah, some I've people do that. Hey? Yeah, I, I do. I've got them ready. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of goals scored in the league, yeah. Hugh scores 15, doesn't he? Cantona yeah. scores nine. I think Giggs scores more goals than Cantona does. I think McClare's up there or similar goals to Cantona. Mm. So is it the, the is it when Cantona scores the goals? Is it something else he does with the team? What is it he does? 
everything when he scores and the way he scores and the way he makes them. There was the, this legendary pass to Irwin when they beat Spurs 4 1. It's one of the greatest passes probably ever played at Old Trafford. But I think just it just gave the team so much confidence. They started they immediately started playing well and I think it just perpetuated itself really. Everyone kind of came out of their shell. I've got quite a good stat actually, believe it or not. So in ninety two, this is the back end of the previous season and mm. the start of the Premier League season. They played thirty seven league games before Cantona. They got 54 points and scored 38 goals, 38 in 37 games. The next 37 league games over, you know, the end of this season and going into the next one, 88 points and 77 goals. So like more, twice as many goals and 34 more points. It just, it was an extraordinary impact. Um, and also actually didn't just influence one generation. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but he did in gener- influence the next generation as well because they were coming through some practice and so on and the whole kind of arrogance and yeah, just changed the whole club. You, do you agree with that, Mike? I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was, I was going to point to, um, there was a game on Boxing Day against Sheffield Wednesday yes. where uh, they were 3-0 down, I think, I think with about 20 minutes left or something. Mm. And uh, it was a pretty fractious game as well. I think someone had, um, was it someone kicked out of Brian McClare or something? Mark like that? Bright, when you know he got their first one back, Mark yeah, Bright, yeah. you know, McClare did his whole kind of scurry in, pick the ball up, leg it back. Brian yeah. tried to trip him up. Yeah, the funny thing about the game is United actually played really well at 3-0 down. Um, yeah. And then, obviously, yeah. But, yeah, they, I mean, they, they dragged it back to 3-0. Canton, I got the equaliser. And then I, I can't remember when in January it was, but the Tottenham game, the 4-1. With the, yeah, that, you know, that was the one. With the pass. And, you know, the, just the what you, you could see that there was something brewing then. You could, you could definitely sense that it changed, I think, from that point. Yeah, the Tottenham game was like a really magical moment in the season. Um, and definitely after that, you thought this could actually happen. And it, and also the other thing is that um, one thing I think changed from the previous year, well, the pitch was a lot better, which helped, but also Ferguson was so much calmer, like uh, as the pressure mounted because they, they had a really terrible march. I think they'd won none in five, lost to Oldham, drew at home to Arsenal, drew him to Villa, drew away to City. But anyway, and even then Ferguson was so calm. Well, I mean, I'm sure he was acting, but it was brilliant acting. And I think that made such a difference. Because that is interesting because that, because, they do hover around first from sort of December, yeah, with, United. with Villa and Norwich. Yeah. yeah, I think there was one weekend in January. But all they're not top. clearly first for ages. So that no, the, the, one of the things that makes I'm not a United fan, but looking from the outside in, one of the things that makes Ferguson so great is that is that what you've just said? That kind of this is how we play football. This will mm. pay off. Mm. We are not going to panic. This is what I'm going to do. But and the it, interesting thing. I agree, but the interesting thing, of course, is that Cantona was a chance signing um, and a gamble, kind of an on the yeah, phone up about something else, didn't he? No, Leeds phoned him, I think, oh, right. Dennis Irwin. But anyway, there's a, that, people tell the story differently. I think Martin Edwards takes more credit for it in his telling and Ferguson, obviously, in his. But either way, it's interesting to wonder what would happen you know, if they hadn't signed Cantona because they were really struggling. I'm not saying he was close to being sacked because he wasn't. It was seen as it, although actually Emlyn Hughes said it would be his last mistake as a United manager signing Cantona and it'd be sacked by Easter. Um, but the other thing is actually, that's another effect. Never knowingly respect. correct, Emily. <laughs> he, he just always trusted his instincts as well. And he trusted that no matter how big a gamble it was, you know, like leaving Jim late now, selling interviews of Gachelska in 95, buying Cantona. He had the brilliant gambler's instinct and faith in it as well. So yeah, so that the, that point about holding the nerve was, was was true because 
Although United did go top on the tenth of April and didn't lose it after that and just won. How many games did it win towards the end? One seven. Seven, last seven games are all won. Did, which was unprecedented then. It was a really impressive, well, obviously an impressive run. But, you know, we're used to it now. Teams winning 10 or whatever. That hadn't happened as far as I'm aware. Certainly not with the United. And what was the style of football like? Just to remind people, Mike. Well, I just, I just, I was just going to point out to you that the start of that winning run of seven games at the end was um, after that fairly disastrous march, United had slipped to third and had to go away to Norwich who I think Norwich were second then, or they might have been top. I can't remember exactly. It was basically a top-of-the-table game, and they just blew them away in 20 minutes with um, the three like, incredible uh, goals on the break, one from Giggs, one from Konchelskis, which I think for the quality of it and the, the importance of it is probably one of the greatest goals United have ever scored, I think. I think mm-hmm. Pallister starts to move from his own six-yard box, and I think there's four first, first-time passes, and the ball's in the Norwich net in about 11 seconds or something like that. Um, yeah. And then Cantona gets the third, which is miles offside, but they didn't have the cameras to pick, <laughs> to, to, uh, to pick that up then. But um, yeah, it's weird because you, you had performances like that, but over the whole course of the season, they only scored 67 goals, which is, uh, you know, in part due to, you know, a, a very sluggish start, I think. Uh, but then in the whole league, I mean, I think you, even with 67, United were the third highest score or something like that. Mm. It was only Blackburn that got uh, that got more than them, but that um, that Norwich game is a real statement, I think, to go to one of your you know rivals for the title and just um, obliterate them like that. And again, and five, five days later, you had the Sheffield Wednesday game, then and the whole the birth of Fergie time and all that. Just a quick note on the Norwich game as well. Hughes was suspended, um, and everyone thought he'd play Brian Robson and play it safe, you know, four three three, and actually brought Kanchelskis in, put Giggs up front, and as Mike said, they just blew him away. It was extraordinary. The second goal is just stunning. You mentioned Norwich there. They finished third with a goal difference of minus four. Yeah, negative. They kept getting getting Pongo, didn't they? They 7-1 at Blackburn. God knows where else. Yeah, Um, 61 goals scored, 65 against, and finished third. I know, brilliant. Yeah, you wonder actually what Blackburn might have done if Shearer hadn't got injured. Yeah, they they were were quite ominous, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a really strange league race in that way. You know, you had Norwich in there. Villa, who kind of came into it quite late as well. Yeah, Arsenal finished tenth that season. Liverpool were just in ruins, uh, <laughs> and you know, Villa, um, sorry, Villa played some lovely stuff, didn't they? They felt they they had so many goal of the season contenders, both individual. Then the famous Daly and Atkinson run and chip when he gets the umbrella. Loads yeah. of great teams. So that twenty-two played, pass goal that they did that. Yeah, season, they were, and Saunders scored a, from a ludicrous oh, angle. They, they scored well, some yeah. beautiful goals. They were a really good side. And they actually, they ran out of steam a bit towards the end, but I think it was more actually at United held their nerve and just put them under too much pressure. Well, Villa lost the their last three games. They lost. Yeah, but by then, you know, they lost. The key game was Blackburn away, and Blackburn were a good side. So, you know, you can lose that. And then after that, it's kind of, they were blazingly snookers. Um, so a lot of people say, you see, that Eric Cantona won that league for you, but I know different because <laughs> I know that Nick Henry won that league for you, by the way. I think it was Darren Beckford because the famous the goal that Nick Henry scored again. If you, it stems from a like the worst a, bit of control you'll ever see from professional like, football. I think it should be a custodian. You, you, you literally sort of so wince bad. and turn away from the screen as he attempts know, to control the ball on his left foot. Yeah, it's, but actually, didn't but thank right. God Henry was following up and puts it in. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and there were like Mike said, there were so many great moments. The the, the Bruce Steve Bruce header is the most famous one against Sheffield Wednesday, which was just 
an astonishing moment, really. 97th minute, I think. And in those days, you didn't get a lot of injury time. No. Well, funny enough, Ferguson, because the referee had gone off injured. So that's the famous shot of Ferguson and Brian Kidd dancing yeah, exactly. on the pitch, isn't it? Funny enough, Ferguson said a few days later he watched the match back and he said there should have been twelve minutes for added time. <laughs> yeah, <I remember. laughs> um, and then did he believe just... that? Or was that just him being flicking the V's up in without doing and it? I think both are quite possible. There were so many euphoric moments. Like the the, the the other big night was Palace away, so they went into three games to go, one point clear of Blackburn, a Villa rather, and Black Villa were three down at Blackburn after about twenty minutes. I think United had only just kicked off. And it was I was at that game. It was just the most amazing night. And United kind of had chances, didn't score. And then Hughes scored this belting volley after maybe about an hour. I don't know. So that puts them four clear. And then Ince scored the second. Four clear with two games to go. It was just the most amazing night. And then obviously Nick Henry. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, cultured midfielder Nick Henry. Yeah, uh, the uh, so um, you mentioned Mark Hughes. I'm interested to talk about Mark Hughes actually because again, a bit like Lineker now. Because, obviously, he's part of the British Managers Club that just go around fleecing clubs now, Mark Hughes. People tend to... There's never... People don't talk about him enough as a footballer, either. And at I all. What, I, I suspect Michael agree with this, and if not, I'll never talk to him again. But one of the great big game players, wasn't he, I think? Oh, yeah, I, I mean, he's, like, he's the Didier Drogba of his day, basically. Yeah, exactly. The amount, the amount of cup finals, the amount of semi-finals, the amount of big games he scored in. And not, not just, you know, he wasn't scoring tappings, either. No, it was, um, you know, I remember Hullet being gushing about him when he was at Chelsea as well, just saying he's just remarkable. He scored some belt to go. There was one hooked, not quite a volley because it bounced up, but from about 25 yards against Forest in the title season. Um, he scored some belt to go. The one at Palace was a brilliant, that was a proper volley. He the wasn't all was... power either. I mean, the, the no, lob against Liverpool, pretty. the one oh, yeah, takes, that's right. takes his yeah. first time on the volley. And it's, uh... Was this, 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 no, this wasn't the season he booted David Huttle at the hoop, was it? Oh, yeah, no, that was the year after. Was that the year they after? lost the, they played Sheffield United too, yeah. yeah the funny thing year. about that is that he only got second yellow for it. Boots him squarely up the trousers. <laughs> and he gets second yellow. It's amazing. The we should say about the team is, and it, I, f- I feel like it applies more to 93-4 in that it was the same team plus Keane. But generally, like the team was so tough. It had just a ridiculous spine. Schmeichel, Bruce, Pallister was a you know nice guy, but tough. Ince, then King came, Cantona, Hughes. Like, they were just a team of basically brilliant bastards. When did Pallister's it, bad reputation go? The old Bambi on ice thing that he got for a while. Was this long yeah. gone by then or did he still have those moments? Oh, no, that had long gone. He, yeah. I think he won player of the year in 91, 92, possibly. But certainly by then he was like, he was a class act. He was one of those, and also in those days it was quite hard. He hardly ever got booked, um, which for a centre-half was pretty rare. Um, yeah, he, he was an absolute class, particularly at that level. I know he had problems with Romario and, you know, he didn't play much for England for various reasons, but at that level, he was gold, absolutely sensational player. And also that lovely moment he scored against Blackburn. He was the last um, outfield player apart from Robson, certainly the last of the first 11 who hadn't scored. So they sent him up to take the free kick, the kind of title party against Blackburn. And he belted one in, proper fairy tale moment. Yeah. As a really in- um, when United put out the uh, the video to celebrate this season uh, champions, it's really strange that it, c- it, um, it ends on the Blackburn game. Oh, it does. That's right. Yeah, yeah and they, they, don't... they don't show the Wimbledon game where Robson actually does score. Just... The funny thing about that is Robson <laughs> scores. So that... Robson scores, and the first thing he does is tell a pitcher mate to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> See on the camera, there's no joy or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's worth saying I about Pallister, Actually, Pallister, Bruce, and Schmeichel started every single league game. 
It's wow. really, it's just like, you know. Yeah, I was, I was just looking at the probably. appearances actually in the league that year. Schmeichel had 42, Bruce had 42, Irwin had 40, Pallister 42, Giggs had 40. Was Giggs 17 in this season? Or 18? 18 turning 19. Yeah, 18 turning 19, yeah. yeah. The one thing we'd say, Ferguson didn't really start squad rotation in the Carl. The next season, he started it a little bit in the Carling Cup or the League Cup, whatever it was. So in that time, there was no real squad rotation. Um, people just played, you know, like Konchelski generally would only play if someone was injured or suspended. You, you just pick your best team pretty much. Is it a symptom of the time that somebody like Giggs at that age played every game? Or is it a symptom of just how good he was? You think if Giggs came through at seventeen, eighteen, now he'd be starting every single league game? No, no. not even into you know. If you look at Ronaldo's first season, Giggs was better at the same age as Ronaldo, but Ronaldo didn't start. I don't know, maybe started twenty league games. The game had changed so much, but also management of young players changed. Um, and Ferguson was generally at the kind of ahead of I, most curves. I would just like to point out to the listeners that Rob did say that Giggs was not as good as Ronaldo at that age. No, sorry. He is Giggs, not saying... No, Giggs was better Sorry, than Giggs Ronaldo, was better. Right? Sorry, Giggs was better than Ronaldo, but at that age, okay? <laughs> I don't want to get in the middle of an incredible... Uh... At all ages, let's have it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not on Twitter. I'll have to deal with the notifications <laughs> off the back of this. So, um, yes, go on, but yeah, Giggs had 40... Int started 41 games... And McClare started 41 games. Yeah, so McClare's he, he, a real unsung hero of that championship. Yeah, agreed. He, he played in midfield for pretty much, you know, Robson wasn't there. And uh, Darren Ferguson played quite a lot, I think, didn't he? he, played, he started Until October, November, yeah. yeah. A, a harsh person would say that, would notice a correlation between an improvement in results and the removal of Darren Ferguson <laughs> from the team. That I'm <laughs> and ended, ended up at Wrexham, of course, Darren Ferguson. Talking of unsung heroes, Ince as well. You talk about players who don't, quite get the credit they deserve Ince for two or three years around this time was an just a sensational midfield player just everything you could want really in a midfield leader um and i think that's been forgotten a bit partly because it's slightly bitter way left and also because I'm most people think of... he's a wanker <laughs> well then, yeah 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 exactly but I'll, I'll, i'm not saying that's fair i'm just saying that that overshadowed people don't pay attention to his football because they pay attention to what they think of him as a person yeah no that's true he was just he was fantastic yeah Beckham was in the squad that year, but was it was this year he went to played, Preston? No, that was two years later. He played at Brighton in the League Cup. I think that was his debut, came on a sub. And they had a few other players, like Keith Gillespie would have played in the squad in the FA Cup. Um, Gary Neville played, as Mike said, came on against Torpedo for his throw-ins. There were others, like I remember Craig Lawton was on the bench at QPR. They, I don't know if he ever actually played for the first team. Um, but it was That's a real, like, it was different. The squad, as you said, like it was a really thin squad. And that was okay, you know, it wasn't, negligent management or anything just everyone had small squads Mike Phelan and Danny Wallace were still um, still kicking around as well weren't they I think yeah. they got a few appearances each and four appearances Webb, for Wallace yeah. yeah it was Webb's last three appearances for Webb one off the bench Webb went to Forest mid-season yeah um, Forest yeah. had a striker that year who scored against Oldham was it Gary Bannister yes he played for about 28 play, yeah. clubs or something yeah we um, should also, on the subject of Forest Dance, they went down that year, mm. obviously Clubs last season, and then that um, freed the way up for Keane to leave. Mm. And, uh, you know, when. He did all United, right, didn't they, he? They, yeah, well, <laughs> they 
put the win in the title thing to bed. United after 26 years and then signing Keane, that was, you know, that was, and with a class of 92 and all that coming through, is like rocking it, it up for the next decade. Pretty I, much. T- what I find interesting looking back at that season is how many trends were kind of started or developed that we now see as normal in a Ferguson team, but then were quite unusual. So counter-attacking football, most obviously that Norwich goal, which, yeah, it's amazing. Um, comebacks, there were loads of comebacks. They were always mm. in the muck and extricating themselves. And then, which ties in with that late goals, you know, there was like, remember Southampton home in February when it was getting a bit nervous and they went one down after about 80 oh, minutes. Gig, yeah. gig scored two superb goals in a minute. Um, obviously, Sheffield Wednesday. It was just, yeah, there were just so many things that we now take for granted that were a revelation then. And they were, they were great to watch. I think Mike's right about the goals total. But I do think part of that was just down to the fact that um, they had such a slow start. And also the league was more competitive. So they won with, what was it, 84 points from 42 yeah. games? So that's two per game. Correct, yeah. Which, you know, two per game is nothing now. Um, but it was just a more competitive league. Um, like they lost to some teams, you would think, like they lost away to Ipswich. I remember when Schmeichel had a bit of a nightmare. Um, but it was What's... just, yeah. And, and I think that's what made the seven in a row even more impressive because... What happened the previous year when they had bottled it? They were unlucky as well. They had injuries, four games in seven days, which is a scandal. But they did bottle it as well up to a point. Um, so to, to finish that way was just fantastic, really. And I think it all stems from Ferguson, like so much of it. What's it, What's interesting for me is that in my memory, it was closer than this. But it was. That's the thing. It was one point. It wasn't a ten-point spread league. No, you know. But one point. Yeah, exactly. One point ahead with three games to go. Um, so it was, you're right. The, the, and you sometimes get it the other way, like 97-8, Arsenal finished a point above United. But in fact, in real terms, they were seven points ahead because they won it with two games to go and went on the piss. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And Villa were, I thought Villa were a really good side. Um, played some lovely football. Had, they, they were a bit like Damian Atkins got injured for quite a long period. And I think that hit them quite hard because um, he was a serious player at the time. One of the, but yeah, United, United were worthy winners without doubt. Going back to that Oldham game when we scored against uh, Villa in that last, <laughs> last thing, there's, there's there's never been sort of the dissonance between what somebody's dressed in and what their face looks like as Ron Atkinson on the bench when <laughs> Nick Henry scores because he's dressed in those like massive bins and that like incredibly yeah. shiny suit, but, look, but his face looks like he's just about to go and then I'll be sent off to war or something. He looks so fed <laughs> up. But, it's, um, but yes... Um, Bless him. Poor Ron. Yeah. Um, and Oldham stayed up thanks to Arsenal beating Crystal Palace the last day of the season. That season, I'll throw that one in. 49 yeah, we points be... we had and it still needed goal difference to keep it's us up. A bit more credit than that. They So they won their last three, didn't they? Villa, Liverpool. Yeah, the last three on the bounce, yeah, in like eight days. You were eight points behind with seven days remaining. Yeah, we were bottom season. when we played Villa, basically. Yeah. Credit, I, I think it was like amazing escape. Yeah, and we won that ridiculous game 4-3 at Boundary Park on a... Um, Last game of the season. Um, but it's funny because, yeah, Palace had 49 points and went down. Funny old league. Everyone was beating each other. Yeah. Even we scored 63 like... goals. We I conceded might, yeah. 74, unfortunately. <laughs> I might be wrong, but I think Arsenal were top scorers in the league in 91-92 and lowest scorers in 92-3, which is a bit weird. They finished mid-table because of their they defense. They had 40 goals. And, of course, they won both cup competitions. It, well, you're right. It was just a different time. It was more competitive and... Um, yeah, more interesting for QPR it. in fifth. Is that, their ba- is that their best finish? They were a good side. That was the Jerry yeah. Francis team. Oh, there was another game at QPR, actually, when Francis and Ferguson had a proper fallout. QPR tried to kick United all over the place on a Monday night. 
I remember Sinton studs landing on Paul Parker and it looks so painful. Someone else, Hughes was booted out of the game, I think, by Alan McDonald. Um, yeah, there were so many memorable games for, very, you know, for whether it was quality of football or a bit of a row. Um, yeah. What a, good, what's... good times. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is why we do this podcast, to remember <laughs> to remember such things. One person we haven't mentioned, who was still knocking around, and still getting a reasonable amount of games, who I still love, who's, is Clayton Blackmore. <laughs> was yeah. in that United. He was still there. 12, 12 league appearances, two, two starts in the well in Europe and in the Rumbelows Cup. Was still there, being that utility thing that he'd been for so long. How, how much longer did he stick around for, Clayton Blackmore? After this, didn't he go? I think he might have been there one more year. Mike, didn't he go to Borough when Robson? He did. Yeah, he was Robson took him with him, didn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah. I saw. Um... I was living in Wales at the time. This is in 1993. I went to watch Wales training ahead of their um, ill-fated World Cup qualifier against Romania. Oh, yes. That's another uh, episode tra- all in itself, that is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, training on the Arms Park pitch. And I just remember watching in the shooting drills, Clayton Blackmore just sized up about four or five 20, 25 yarders and just spanked them all past Neville Southall. <laughs> Especially just lashing them into the top corner. He had a brilliant shot on him. And he, he did uh, hit the ball so sweetly. Yeah. I think he, he played sco- everywhere, didn't he? Didn't he, he score that some... amazing thunderbolt against Pexy Monkus that year? Well, it wasn't that amazing. And, it was the, like the classic kind of keeper just... Well, the keeper, just, the keeper just sat down, <laughs> if I remember rightly. It was, yeah, it was in those days, like, the, the quality of football sometimes wasn't as high as we like to remember. But, yeah, and he scored a, scored a crucial goal against Montpellier when the keeper just threw it in from a free kick from 25 yards. But Sorry, anyway. I've gone down a Clayton Blackmore black hole. Yeah, he, well, he went to he, he went to Middlesbrough. It all went down. He went to Middlesbrough, Bristol City, Barnsley, Knox County. He played one game for Lee RMI, which is where I'm from in Lancashire, the Lee team. 176 games for Bangor City. I had He's just no, got an autobiography no out, has he? He's just got an autobiography, but I might actually buy it. I think we're crazy. And finished. That, he was still playing for Neath Athletic eight years ago when he when he would have been 45 years old. Wasn't Blackmore the name of the? toy that Beckham had to get into it with as part of his initiation. Oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> Hang on, what? What's this? When, you know, you know it was like in those days. Yeah. You had to do something horrific, yeah. Yeah, to I thought it was a blood doll or whatever, I don't know, you had to make, make I don't know, but anyway, yeah, no, it was too with Blackmore. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it's actually perfectly entertaining from my point of view. So there you go. That's United's 1992-93 season, plus the European people didn't play in the European Cup. That's about an hour for us. That'll probably do. Um, thank you very much, Rob, for your time. Thank you, Mike. Thanks to everybody for listening and for joining in. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back. I think we're about to head in to our World Cup content. I think in on the in the next episode will be will be about uh, Spain '82. And after that, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But thanks very much for tuning in, and I'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.